This is The Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to The Storied Outdoors. I'm Brian Gill, along with Brad Hill, and we have a special guest today, our dear friend, Courtney Munson. She is a two-time 100-mile finisher, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about that today and just kind of see where she is, and, and we're going to learn today. Today is a learning day for me, um, and, and I've never done anything close to 100 miles, and so we're looking, at, uh, looking forward to this conversation. Courtney, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so uh, 100 miles. I mean, Brad, have you, have you ever ran 100 miles in one, t- in one day? I've never run 100 miles. I've, I've, uh, Ironman, you know, you, you talked about Ironman. We, it's 140.6 total. So I have an understanding of the, the, the time frame that we're talking about, but never like pounding the pavement for that long. So my question is, like, I know from my story, my question is, how does one decide you want to run 100 miles? That's what I want to know. I joke with people that it's because I have really bad friends. Um, because <laughs> they're definitely the ones that got me into it. And now I would say I have really great friends because they're the ones who got me into it. Um, but it really was just being around people who love to be outside, who love to run, who love to run in amazing places. And then thinking like, well, I could do that. And I mean, some of that was like the arrogance of, well, I could do that. And some of that was, well, could I do that? And so it just kind of, you know, you hang around the right or the wrong people long enough and, (laughs) and you start doing what they do. So, um, I'm, let me be clear. I've, I've never, that thought has never crossed my mind that I can do that. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is, that is great. I mean, I don't think it was immediately, I can do that. It was more, could I do that? Okay. And, and I want to know if I could do that. And then, mm. yeah. Go from there. Yeah, I, I know personally, like, it started out with, a, oh, man, that is fascinating, you know, that somebody could do that. And then, you know, you start out with something small that leads to something else. And, you know, at the end of every race, somebody asks you, like, well, what's the next thing you're going to do? What's the next race? And it began to escalate. I don't know if it was like that for you, but it just escalated from couch to 5K to Ironman, you know, and it get, I mean, that's ridiculous, but it, it didn't take long to get there either. Yeah, it was like that sort of for me um i ran my first marathon in 2010 um and then i learned about 100 mile runs in like 2010 ish too um but that wasn't like immediate like oh let's do that i didn't try my first hundred until 2014 i wasn't around 100 myself until 2012 or 2013 so it wasn't like oh, well, you ran a marathon, you should go do that because tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people run marathons and don't run 100 milers. <laughs> but um, it just kind of went to like, oh, well, I like being outside. I like, I don't like running on roads. I like running on trails. I like being by myself. I like being with other people who think and act the way that I do, as selfish as that is. And so 
it kind of grew out of that. I love running overnight. And the easiest way to do that is if you run a hundred miles. So there's a lot of people who are not familiar with what that means. A hundred miles. And you mentioned running on a trail Mm -hmm. rather than the road are, are hundred miles usually on trails. Yeah, there are hundred milers on road. I would never undertake that adventure. That sounds terrible to me. Um, usually it is on trail because the impact of the concrete for a hundred miles. So my hundred milers, the cutoffs were 30 hours and 36 hours for each one. So it's usually at least 24 hours. And so pounding pavement for that long at the back of the pack, obviously the front of the pack is like the fastest is like 15 hours. So it varies, but the thought of running and finding road for a hundred miles is really different than finding a trail that you can kind of piece together and, and make work. So yeah, most of them are trail. There are plenty, not plenty. There are a handful that are road. Usually it's like a 24 hour time race would be a hundred miles or something like that. But, um, I don't know a lot about them cause I don't want to do that. <laughs> now I've run two marathons, one of them being an Ironman. Mm-hmm. Both times, the 20-mile mark was this really like, it was this dark moment, spiritually, right, (laughs) (laughs) that you had to break through. What's the dark place when you're running 100 miles? It's overnight. At whatever point that is for people, I think it's overnight. I love running at night, so that to me is not the worst, but it is long. Um, it just seems like it goes on forever. And usually, you know, people are spread out and they're quiet and it's cold and it just seems like it'll never end. Um, I think I try to flip my brain around by telling myself how much I love running at night and making that a positive. Um, but most people who run through the night would say that the second sunrise changes the game. You're back in it, you're ready to go. For me, I struggled at that point. I love sunrise, but about nine o'clock or so, you're realizing you're still in for a long day. Mm-hmm. Like in both of my races, I ended at like four in the afternoon and six in the afternoon. And so nine o'clock is great, <laughs> but you still have a marathon left and you still have like six hours left. So that to me is a really hard point of like, I still have a marathon to go. Well, I've run a billion marathons or however many marathons you've run over training and over all the things, but it's like, that's going to take longer than your like, you know, St. Jude marathon. (laughs) It's not the same deal. Wow. Mm. Courtney, you do something that, uh, you're, you're the first person I've seen do it. And, um, you know, we've known each other for about 10 years now. You've, you've done a lot of running with my wife. And, um, when, you do a race, you do something called a race report. Mm-hmm. And that's really resonated with, with Brad and me because we do a lot of reflection and we journal and we look back at experiences. That's kind of what the whole premise of the storied outdoors is, is, is being able to reflect on events that happen in the outdoors. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what a race report is and, and how it helps you to maybe decompress and just kind of put all the pieces together that what you just did in a race. Yeah. I, I 
started writing them because someone I knew had sent me one and was like, this is what it was like to be out there. And I realized very quickly that my people didn't know what it was like to be out there. My parents didn't go with me for, to races for several years. My best friends weren't there. I had crew at some of them, but even those people don't know what it's like to actually be out there. So it kind of started as just like, I want to tell people what happened. And I want to remember what happened. I have the worst memory in the world. And there's so many things that happen in 100 miles. And you'll remember them sporadically. They come back to you. There are nights where I'm laying in bed and I'll remember something weird that happened. And the only way that I could find to do that and to remember them and to be able to share them later was to write them down and to write them down fairly quickly after I got done, knowing that I would forget it all. And um, you never quite feel the same hurt and the same joy like three years mm -hmm. down the road as you do when you're on an airplane back from Wyoming because you quit at mile 78. And so being able to put that into words for my people and tell them like, this is everything that happened. You'll never believe, oh my gosh, this and this and this, but also, but I did it or I didn't do it, but I did it. And this is how that felt. And this is how I was able to do it because people don't know how to run a hundred miles. Right. I didn't know, but I yeah, read yeah. other people's stories that said, well, when I was struggling with this, I tried this. And so I knew how much that helped me. And I wanted to be able to kind of have that. Granted, I don't share my race reports with people who would ever do this. But in theory, if someone was like, hey, I'm going to go run Bighorn, I would be like, well, here's what I did during Bighorn. Take it or leave it. Hmm. And that's, you know, up to them. But now looking back, I realized how it does kind of help me put together the whole story and really kind of know like, oh, this led to this, and this emotion came out of that, or, you know, oh, this at the end was caused by this at the beginning, and really put the whole picture together, and sometimes going back to training, like, one of my hundreds was in a complete mud bath, and I was like, I, what, like, how did that happen, and then I remembered, well, you ran two races that were totally in the mud and in the rain, and it was like, that was the preparation today and I I think all of our runs yeah. just like life like build on each other and that there's a purpose for all of it and so the purpose of those two races where I was so miserable and hated everything and everybody was because four months later I was going to be in the middle of Wyoming in a mud pit like going bananas thinking well you've done this before you've done this before you can do this again because you've done it before and wow so i kind of think tying all of that together really on paper makes me see the bigger picture at the end okay courtney so you, you okay so you finished two but the first 100 that you did didn't go so as, as planned let's say it that way DNF. So, she said DNF. That's the, that's the technical term, DNF. That's the technical term, DNF. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Or do you want to? <laughs> yes. I, I don't mind. I, I think that I probably learned the most from that experience. Maybe not the most, but I learned so much from that that 
it's not, it's like, I probably tell more people, these are all the things I learned when I DNF'd. Then I'm like, well, this is what I've learned when I finished. Mm. Um, but so I started my first hundred, which was the Bighorn 100 in Sheridan, Wyoming. Not that anybody knows where that is. Um, and that was in 2014, in June of 2014. Um, I, I think I probably went out there underprepared. I know I went out there underprepared. Um, at that point, I hadn't been with anyone who hadn't finished 100. So I think I just thought like, well, I did a 25K, I did a 50K, I did a 50 miler, I did several 50 milers. This is what you do next. Like, this is how you progress. Just like in the marathon, mm-hmm. 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, and everybody, for the most part, finishes. So I think that that was kind of what I took into it was I did all the steps. I'm going to I'm gonna do this. And, and I didn't. <laughs> um, it was – the cutoff was, I think, 36 hours for the whole race. Um, I got – I always said I wouldn't quit until they took my number, um, until I wasn't allowed to go on, that it wouldn't be like, okay, there's hours on the clock and I've decided to quit. It needed to be like impossible for me to make a cutoff. Um, So we, we knew early that the day was not going well. Um, I went out too hard. Um, There was a friend of mine there who happened to be running and I was like, well, she's here. She's done this a bunch of times. I'm going with her. And like, we had a great time. We ran through the mountains, carried on and had the best time. And then I slowly realized like, well, she's done this before and she knows what she's doing, but like she's running her race and now you're running her race. And, um, I don't think I quite let her go one because it was fun. Like we had a really good time Mm. and also because she was helping me, you know, are you drinking? Are you eating? Are you doing all these things? So I was leaning on her when I should have been using what I already know. And that's no fault of hers at all. She never was like, come with me. It was more just like, well, this will be fun, you know, whatever. Um, so I got to, we got through the night. So Bighorn is known for having like really terrible weather, really muddy um, course. It's an out and back. So you come back where you just were. So if it's muddy, that mud is twice as thick coming back because everyone's been through it and then come back through it. Mm. Um, And then overnight, it was like, my sister could tell you exactly, but it was like 21 degrees overnight or something crazy and it had been 87 during the day so I melted during the day and then froze that night and like it was just a lot (laughs) so um I knew that Big Horn was hard I'd read some things that were like oh there's this climb after mile 33 I think that's called the wall and I was like okay it's a hill you know whatever no, no, that's a mountain. <laughs> that's a legit mountain. <laughs> and you got to go up it. Um, There's not many mountains in Memphis to train no. on. And, like, I just I picked this race just kind of out of the blue. Like, it fit the time that I wanted to go. It was easy enough to get there. Like, it wasn't well thought through, which now I would never, ever go to a race not well thought through ever but at that time it was like well this fits everyone else's schedule and this is kind of fine and so I did and so I really just kind of went um and then like I said I 
ended up running with Emily and had a great time, but I probably wasn't as focused on how fast am I really going? Like you're an hour ahead of a cutoff. Well, that's great. But like, are you doing the things that you need to do to stay that way throughout, throughout the 36 hours? So, um, my feet fell apart. I have really bad feet. Um, and I got trench foot and blisters and all sorts of nasty stuff. Mm. Um, I lost a toenail at mile 66. I literally pulled it off and handed it to my sister and was like, go do something with that. Um, which we still joke about all the time. Um, so it was a lot. Um, and at mile 72, I think we left an aid station at 72. Um, and we had to be, we were at 78 when we realized, okay, you have to go six miles in like two hours, which Mm -hmm. is doable (laughs) in normal times. And my pacer was like, we, we aren't going to, you aren't doing that. And I was like, wait, what, (laughs) what do you mean? We're not going to go three miles an hour. And we weren't. And, um, a four wheeler came down the trail and was like, Hey, you know, y'all okay. And my pacer looked at me and I was like, no, like, I don't want to do this. And Hmm. If we're not going to make it, why am I going to struggle for six more miles, which could literally be four more hours, just to get pulled when I How get How hard was that here. decision? And mm-hmm. so, um, at that, like, my pacer luckily let me make the decision. It wasn't mm-hmm. a forced decision. And I was in so much pain that I knew I couldn't do it. And I... I didn't want to and Mm. it hurt so bad that I was just like I can't keep them out here there's a thunderstorm over the ridge like I just I want out and so when we realized we weren't keeping up with the miles and that we couldn't get to the aid station in time it was like all right I'm getting on that let's go so um got on the four-wheeler went up the hill that aid station I think is at 85 my sister was there um, waiting for me. Um, and that was probably the hardest thing was seeing her. I saw her call my parents and tell them that we were, that I was back, but that we were done. And that, like, that tore me up. Like, Hmm. and then having to tell my pacer and my sister and then my family that we've put all this time into this and money and all these things. And I just couldn't do it. And that was really hard for me. Um, just knowing like, you don't feel like you wasted their time, but you do like mm-hmm. my sister's not a runner. So it's not like she was out there like training or anything. Like she was just out there hanging out with me, which we love, but that's still a lot. And like my mm-hmm. pacer had been out all night and, you know, had trained for this too. And there we were like, I couldn't really walk and I became useless for the next three days. Um, so it was, it was hard. I'll never forget the look on my pacer's face when they were like, it's okay. Like you gave it everything you had. And today that wasn't enough. And that made me realize that like, I didn't do it, but I could do it. Like, Hmm. I gave it everything I had and I didn't do it, but I wasn't like, Oh, well, 
I'm done here. It was very much like mile 78 is a long freaking way. <laughs> That's not yes, like, it it's not like, Oh, I got to 50 K and like, well, I'm tired. I think I'll go home. Like yeah. it was like a forest gump. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> right. Like it wasn't a situation of just like, well, you probably don't have it. It was like, no, no, I know I can do this better. You got this. Yeah. Like yeah. there's so much more for me to do. I got to fix my feet. Um, I've got, that was the problem. My feet were the problem. And as soon as I came back, I threw out all my shoes, started over on shoes and socks. I got a book that's like fix your feet or something like something about feet, um, read it cover to cover and like learned about feet for like four months. (laughs) So, um, I really took the time. I tried tons of different shoes and socks and everything, just trying to figure out like, what is it that made my feet just totally fall apart? Was it the water? Was it the environment? Was it, I've actually learned that some of it can be due to hydration levels. And so like, that's not what you think about when you think about fixing blisters. So it was a lot of like, okay, what can you do to do this better? And what went right? Like, did your nutrition plan work? Yeah. My nutrition plan worked great. So that didn't, that has never changed. Um, but other things needed to change for me to figure out how I could do it since I kind of felt like I would be able to eventually. Why, why is a failure like that such a powerful teacher? <laughs> that is a great why, question. Why do, you, why do you talk more about that than you do your victories? I think because for me, like that determination and that kind of like, I know I can do this or like, I want to know that I can do this is part of like me, right? Like that's just who I am. I'm not the quitter type. And so it wasn't like I failed so miserably. It wasn't like if I decided to like, I don't know, take up football and give it one shot to Mark. Granted, I could probably be a good football player, but still, but like, it's not (laughs) something (laughs) totally random where it was like, I just want to try and you're going to try once. Like I'd worked for a year for for it Mm -hmm. and, and I didn't do the right work. And I don't think in that instance, I knew I didn't do the right work. And so you learn what work you have to do. Like what is the right Mm -hmm. work and what is the right method? And is it, is it something you can do? Like if I had fallen apart totally physically, like if, you know, my leg fell off, then I would be like, well, maybe this isn't for me, (laughs) but it wasn't that it was very fixable things that led me to think like, I think I can do this, but I need to like sit down and think about why I didn't because it's easy to pick out what didn't work. Like that's the easy stuff. Yeah. Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Yeah. Like, and that's like, we talked about race reports. Like that's part of what the race reports remind me of later. Like what, what did work and what didn't work. And what do you like, remember at, you know, two o'clock on Tuesday, a week later. And you're like, Oh, I really remember that. I liked eating coffee cake at an aid station, which is true. I did. So like (laughs) now that's the kind of thing where it's like, you don't want anything else. Does anyone have any coffee cake? <laughs> that's what I want. So, that so, did well for my body, that coffee cake. 
that like or a really, cheeseburger. Right. Yeah, and you know that cheeseburger was golden too. So. Oh, um, so I think that it's just easy to see for me, knowing how much I'd put into it, where I made mistakes, and having the opportunity to fix that, and not just say, "Well, I messed this up," and leave it. Being able to say, "Well, I messed this up. Let's see if we can do better later." And luckily, you talk you talk a lot about the the gear, the training, the the preparation, the in race routine that you that you learned to do things differently. What did you learn about yourself? Like, how did Courtney grow through that 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 DNF? <laughs> I don't think that it came that day. I know it didn't come that day. Sure. Um, I don't even think that it came through the training cycle before Bighorn. I actually think it came in the training cycle after Um, going in. And obviously that took me like two years to figure out, but going into Bighorn, I relied on my people, which is Enneagram six. That's what we do. Um, (laughs) But I, I let my people, I just took in everything, you know, people are like, well, I tried this. And if I didn't know any better, I'd try that, you know, like, the race, how I picked it out was like, oh, I've heard this is a good race. So I picked it out. And so I went by someone else's schedule when I wanted to pick it to schedule it. So I think that I was kind of unsure of myself and that I really kind of was like, what can I do to make this easier on everyone else? And what can I do to make this, you know, what is everyone else saying? And so that's how I went into the race. Like, of course there were things that were mine, like my nutrition plan and a bunch of things that I rely on, but there was a lot that was like advice from other people. And then in the year following, I fired my coach, <laughs> sorry, um, <laughs> I fired my coach and decided to do it myself. Um, and then I also like, I picked the race based on what made sense to me. And it was in, the, my second hundred was in Chattanooga, outside of Chattanooga um, on the Coe River. And my sister lives in Chattanooga, so I could go to the race course and run there. I went once every four or five weeks for like five months. So I was going a ton. I was spending a lot of time on the race course. I was making sure I understood it. I was meeting other people that were also doing the race so that like when I got out there, there were familiar faces. Like there were people at aid stations that knew me by name and like that doesn't really matter, but it also helps when you know that you're going to get out there Mm -hmm. and -and so-and-so is going to be there and they know that you want a fully leaded Coke as opposed to Gatorade. Like that kind of stuff really helps me. So um, I think I... I just did more for me and I really just said, okay, well, all these people think that this race isn't that great, but it's the race that makes sense for me. And then, um, the day before Thunder Rock, my pacer, who was a new pacer to me, but a friend, he lives in Chattanooga and he used to live in Memphis and his family moved to Chattanooga. But the night before the race, he was actually in Memphis and his car broke down. So my pacer was in Memphis. I was in Chattanooga and he wasn't going to be able to get to the race to pace me, we thought. And all of my friends found out and they're like, we're going to come. We're going to come pace you. We're going to take care of it. And I was like, no, like I am going to do this myself. And that's 
very selfish, but also what in that moment I needed in like my whole big life was kind of taking Mm -hmm. everything into my own hands and saying, this is for me. This isn't for anybody else. This is for me. And so um, he did make it, luckily. (laughs) Praise Arno. We love him. Um, But there was a lot of realization in that weekend that like, in the famous quote from Leadville, you're stronger than you think you are and you can do more than you think you can. Yes. And really taking that race on myself. My sister is a pro. She was great. But really getting to the finish line and thinking like, I can do hard things. Mm. I can do them. There are people around me that help me do them, but I can do them. And that was a big factor for me like looking back was that Bighorn was like, we can do this. And Thunder Rock was, I can do this. And personally where I was in my life at that time, like that was everything I needed. That's what you needed. Yeah. I had no idea until, you know, four months later that it would just be me. And that at some point, you know, my relationships would change. My job would change. Everything would change. And it was all on me. And I still think that Thunder Rock was like God's way of saying, like, you really can do hard things and you Mm -hmm. can do them with him and by yourself, obviously, but that you don't really need what you thought you needed. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're obviously uh, overcame that and you finished two after the DNF and you're so much stronger. So thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. I know that it, it probably took a little time to get to the point where you want to talk a little bit about it, but uh, so thankful for you sharing That's that awesome. with us. Uh, yeah. I remember racing Ironman with this fear of like, am I going to make the cutoff? You know, mm-hmm. am I going to make the swim cutoff? Am I, and I remember volunteering the year before seeing people pulled off course. Yeah. And so like, man, when you said I DNF, my heart hurt because I knew what mm-hmm. led up to that and I knew how heavy that was. So hearing that from you, um, that was, thanks for sharing. And, and uh, that's not easy to probably, it's probably easier, but still like it's hard. It's, it's I, hard. Like we're like said earlier, like when did it become okay to talk about it? It really did take until I finished the next one to be able to talk about the DNF. Like you can't mm-hmm. run around and be like, well, it's fine until you get another. And then the second one was just a chance to be like, Oh, well this is how it is like fun. <laughs> Well, um, we, we have a few more minutes. One thing I wanted to ask you is what's your next adventure? What's, what's next for Courtney? So my family is going to Colorado very safely and carefully, um, in a couple weeks and, um, running around Leadville, Colorado is one of my favorite things to do. So I'm excited to go do that. Um, I want to run another hundred. Um, I had two foot surgeries. Um, in 2016 and 2017. And I don't know that I thought then that I would get to run another hundred. And I think my surgeon would probably be like, please don't run another hundred. But I want, I want to do another. So I think right now it's just like, it takes, it takes over a year to get ready. And I I know that, and I want to do the work now so that when I'm ready to do it, I can do it. So we'll see. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Courtney, what, so say there's someone that is like, man, that sounds really interesting. How do they get started? How do they, how do they say, Hey, I want to go run a hundred miles. 
I want to find out if I can do that. Yeah. I mean, I think Brian Sayre is a great example. Like she just started, I mean, not that she has to run a hundred miles or wants to. Don't, I tell people all the time, don't, don't do this. Um, <laughs> but you have to figure out if you like it. I mean, there are a lot of people who think running really far sounds cool or sounds like big or whatever. Um, but then they get out on a trail and they're like, this is horrible. Mm. Um, but just going for a, a trail run that's not four or five miles, that's a 25K, that's, you know, a 50K, because a 50K is only five miles more than marathon, but it takes you four more hours than a marathon. And that, if you're a speedster, that's not real appealing to a lot of people. So I think starting small and um, realizing that 100 takes 17 hours a week of training or ish and figuring out if you have the time to do it. It's, it's the time that I think stops a lot of people. Um, yeah. and that, and the time and the food, <laughs> if you can eat and you can spend the time doing it, you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> those are the two like main things, but I think just finding a trail that you like and seeing if you like being alone that long. I love it. Not everyone does. Courtney, thanks so much for taking time to spend with us and, uh, and talk about these things. It, it's so a hundred miles is a long way and it, the journey to get there is, is no small feat. So I, I think it's incredible just to, as you said, toe the line, just to toe the line, not even the finishing the race, but the preparation, a year and a half of preparation is incredible just to get to the, to the yeah. race. And so, man, that's incredible. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, take some time to leave us a review, or better yet, share it with a friend. We hope these stories encourage you, encourage you to write your own stories, and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors.